can I get a Batman Lego? Can I get a Batman Lego? That was all that I heard from my four-year-old earlier this year whenever we'd visit the store. Anytime we'd go to a store that had a Lego aisle, a place like Walmart, that was what he wanted to ask about. He begged for the Batman Legos. And guys, listen, the Batman Legos are expensive, okay? For one thing, they're Legos. (laughs) And Legos cost a little more than they did back when I was a kid. Two, they were always these giant sets like There'd be like a full-size Batmobile or a Batcave, and so they always cost a ton. Now, on the other hand, who could deny a kid such a reasonable request? I mean, you take the two most awesome things that man has ever created, Batman and Legos, you put them together, I could understand the appeal. But I told him, sorry, you can't always get what you want. And so he said, no, Daddy, I need it. (laughs) Once again, I could not deny his logic. It was Lego. It was Batman. Of course he needed it. And I'm sure his mother would understand. Plus, I was actually able to find a $10 Lego Batman set on Amazon. And so the day that it finally arrived, he couldn't have been more excited. I finally have a Batman. I finally have a Batman. But then he turned to me with the cheesiest smile you can imagine. And he says, but I don't have a Robin. (laughs) And he still doesn't have a Robin, nor does he need one. And that story probably actually would have went pretty well with what I was talking about last week. I was talking about contentment. And I did not plan this, okay? I honestly didn't. I did an episode about being content with what you have because it was the week of Thanksgiving. And so I I wanted to talk about it during that week. Then I started into studying Ezekiel 26 for this week. And what do you know? It was all about greed. It was about the greed of a nation named Tyre. And so we're going to continue in our Ezekiel series today with a look at the ancient little nation of Tyre, one that you've probably heard of from other mentions in the Bible, but you've probably not heard a whole sermon or Bible study on it before. However, you will today on the Cross References Podcast. the Cross References podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's word will make more sense to you after every episode. My name is Luke Taylor, and I'm the husband of a branch manager. Okay, and I'm saying that because today my wife and my son put up the Christmas tree, and my son, who, who as I might have mentioned, he is four, and he liked to cluster the ornaments all together. He, you know, he had this idea as he decorated the tree that all the snowflakes should go together and all the ball ornaments should go together and, and on and on like that. So my wife had to show him how to spread things out because the things on the tree look better when they're all evenly distributed. And so, you know, he had a tendency as he was putting stuff on the tree. He wanted to load a bunch of things all on the same branch. And of course, that just weighed the branch down and then it made everything fall off. And so my wife had to keep that under control. That's why I say I, I, was, I am married to a branch manager, all right? <laughs> you, so I, here's why I'm bringing that up. You run the risk of overloading a branch whenever you try to put too much on it. Two or three ornaments is too much. And so in a similar way, you can overload a podcast episode if you try to force too much into it all at once. And that is why I've been taking my time with this study in Ezekiel. I've tried not to cram too much into one episode. I mean, I know I've had some long episodes, that's because I had a big subject to cover, but I, I just try not to, I try not to cram too, I try not to go too fast. 
if I always covered like one chapter per episode, that would be too much information per episode. And I just I don't think that'd be right to do that to you. It wouldn't be doing Ezekiel justice. So that's why I often only cover a few verses at a time. Now, here lately, the chapters have been pretty straight to the point. And so that's actually allowed me to cover more material all in one episode. So I covered all of chapter 25 last time, and I'm going to cover all of chapter 26 today. I'm going to cover all of chapter 27 next time. Okay, but don't worry, I am going to slow back down once we get to chapter 28. We're going to go to a screeching halt in that chapter because it's actually, in my opinion, one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. And so get into your Bible today with Ezekiel 26, a chapter that you've probably never heard a sermon or a Bible study on before, and you probably never will again, but you will today, and you might just learn something new. So what this chapter is covering today is the, is the fifth in a series of seven judgments that Ezekiel is pronouncing against the Gentile nations. And so he picks seven nations to speak against. I think we covered four of them last time. And so for the fifth one, he spends quite a bit longer speaking about this one than the others. The fifth one is Tyre, and he's going to spend three chapters excoriating Tyre, chapters 26, 27, and 28. And what's kind of interesting about all this is that whenever he gets into chapter 28, he ties it into all the problems that God has with Satan. And so we learn a lot about Satan in, chap in chapter 28, and it contains perhaps the most lengthy, lengthy description of Satan from the entire Bible. That's why I said I'm really going to slow down whenever I get to chapter 28. But to start off today, this is the prophecy against the small nation of Tyre. And so we're going to start with a short letter to them. It's kind of similar to the letters that we read last time. Ezekiel 26 verses 1 through 6, in the 11th year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, aha, the gate of the peoples is broken, it has swung open to me, I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her waters and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. She shall be in the midst of the sea, a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. And she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So God is upset with Tyre because Tyre was gloating over the destruction of Jerusalem. And we covered that back in chapter 24. And it was also similar to last time with Ammon. They said, aha, over it. So they were guilty of what, what if you remember, we were t talking about the schadenfreude that Ammon was guilty of in the previous chapter. Not only that, Tyre was excited to see Jerusalem fall because Tyre expected that it was going to benefit from it economically. They said Jerusalem's fortunes might just swing open to Tyre and then Tyre shall be replenished. And so perhaps because, you know, maybe Jerusalem was considered an economic rival to Tyre. Uh, to quote the New International Commentary on the Old Testament by Daniel Block, he says, The opening gleeful aha over the fall of Jerusalem suggests that the Tyrians welcomed Judah's demise as an opportunity to expand their own commercial interests. And so there's going to be four parts to the judgment today as we look at Tyre. The first part is that God is saying here, that he does not like that Tyre was so excited to see Jerusalem destroyed. And yes, God had to do it. He had to wipe him out, but it was only because he had to. You know, he doesn't take desire in the death of the wicked. And so he didn't want Tyre to do that either. 
and then also got as upset with Tyre because Tyre was so greedy. It heard that its neighbor had fallen, and it just immediately started plotting how it could financially benefit from all of this. So God's judgment is that Tyre is going to be broken down and destroyed, and it's going to be left as nothing but a fishing spot. And I would say this prophecy has actually been literally fulfilled to today, because at the time Ezekiel wrote this, Tyre was an impressive city. It was on this tiny island. It was about 600 yards off the coast of Lebanon, and it was considered an impregnable fortress. And though it did eventually fall, it had good reason to think it was unreachable. I mean, it's pretty hard to mount an offensive siege against an island stronghold. So Tyre looked pretty mighty, but yes, it did fall. And today there is no city on the island of Tyre. It is today literally exactly what God said it would be. He said, she shall, so she, he said, she shall be in the midst of the sea, a place for the spreading of nets. And that is all that Tyre is today. It's a fishing spot. God's word is true. The second part of this chapter is going to focus on Nebuchadnezzar's siege against the city. And so the first part was God's role in the fall of Tyre. But this next part is about the human beings that God will use. And so we're going to read that about that now in verses 7 through 14. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots, and with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. I'm going to break in right here. This just, again, it demonstrates God's sovereignty over everything going on geopolitically. Okay, if you were to ask Nebuchadnezzar, if you went to him at this time, if you said to him, whose idea was it to attack Tyre? He would have thought it was his own idea. He, he would have thought that he planned all this himself. He did not even realize, surely, that God was using him to do this. But see, God, he turns the king's hearts like streams of water in his hand. God is in control of who is in control. So everything Nebuchadnezzar was doing was actually fulfilling God's purposes here. Nebuchadnezzar didn't even know it. I, I just find that pretty cool. All right, going on with verse eight. He will kill with the sword your daughters on the mainland. He will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you and raise a roof of shields against you. He will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls and with his axes, he will break down your towers. His horses will be so many that their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen and wagons and chariots. When he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached, with the hoofs of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with the sword, and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. Your stones and timber and soil they will cast into the midst of the waters. And I will stop the music of your songs, and the sound of your lyres shall be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You shall be a place for the spreading of nets. You shall never be rebuilt, for I am the Lord I have spoken, declares the Lord God. So as I said before, this has been literally fulfilled. This is true. It's a fishing spot today. Tyre was never rebuilt. You can go look at pictures of it today. That's what I was doing this week. It's nothing but ruins. You can still see the ancient columns. Some of them are submerged. Some of them are sticking out of the water. And you can look at that today and you can say, God did that. But what's kind of interesting is they did not happen in reality, as quickly or instantly as it might sound right here. Nebuchadnezzar did bring an attack against the city of Tyre, and he took everything that belonged to Tyre on the mainland. But the main city on the island that, that when I mentioned it was 600 yards away, the main city of Tyre, it was not taken by Nebuchadnezzar. The city was not finally conquered until Alexander the Great came along, and that was a few hundred years later. 
Alexander the Great was the one who finally figured out how to conquer an island city. And so uh, to explain this, I thought, well, I could just read it all up and and retype it and explain it to you and and give you the details that uh, I thought it'd be better if I just read straight from the source. Okay, how about that? So here's some history from a commentary by Pastor John Corson, because I think he just puts this uh, much better than if I try to tell you myself. So I'm going to read from what he says in his application commentary on this chapter. He said, this prophecy confuses and frustrates the agnostic historian because it's an incredible prediction whose chances of being fulfilled have been calculated to be one in 75 million. In it, the Lord says that he would bring Nebuchadnezzar and his war machine to Tyre. Only a few years after this prophecy was given, that's exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar's goal was to take Egypt, but for some reason led a siege against Tyre instead. The people of Tyre were tough, however, and held on for 13 years. When the Babylonians finally broke through, they were shocked to find no one there. Where did the people of Tyre go? They snuck out the back door and sailed in small boats to an island one half mile out to the sea, where they built a brand new city. In 332 BC, determined to conquer the known world, Alexander needed to subjugate the people of Tyre. So as prophesied in verse 3, he used slaves from the nations he had conquered to push the rebel from the old city into the water and build a causeway. When it was finally completed, all that remained for Alexander to do was march his troops on the causeway and destroy the city. But as seen in verse 12, there's a third part of this prophecy. Over the ensuing centuries, Tyre became an important Islamic center. Thus, in AD 1290, when the Crusaders came down from Europe to free the Holy Land, they drove out the Muslim residents of Tyre and made it their capital. When the Muslims recaptured their city, they disassembled Tyre and threw every rock and timber into the sea because it had been defiled. That is why, if you go to the ancient site of Tyre today, you will see only a small fishing village with the fishermen spreading their nets as prophesied in verse 14. So anyway, I just, I found all that pretty interesting. Like that's the history right there of what happened to the city. It, it did fall. It just took a few hundred years. And so eventually it was destroyed and there was nothing left. The ruins were tossed into the sea. It just didn't happen as quickly as somebody who is reading this prophecy or hearing it might've assumed. And that is a recurring feature of the Bible. Things don't always happen as quickly as you think they will. Sometimes prophecies are fulfilled in stages rather than being all at once. You know, look at Jesus. They were, they were expecting Jesus to come along as this warrior king who was going to take over the world. What the people got instead was salvation for their sins. They got a promise that someday he would return to rule the world. So that prophecy is going to be fulfilled about Jesus being king of the world, but it just is not being fulfilled the way people thought it would be the first time he came. Sometimes God gives us the big picture, but he keeps those details close to the chest. And, and so things don't always play out the way that we would predict. Okay, so we're going to get into the third section next. We're going to read about the public reaction to Tyre's fall. So Ezekiel 26, verses 15 through 18. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall, when the wounded groan, when slaughter is made in your midst? Then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones, and remove their robes, and strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment, and be appalled at you. And they will raise a lamentation over you and say to you, how you have perished, you who were inhabited from the seas. O city renowned who is mighty on the sea. She and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall and the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. 
So I will keep this part short. The nations here are mourning Tyre's fall. And so Tyre was just this really powerful little little location at this time, probably because it was a coastal location. It probably had a lot of commerce running through it, a lot of trade. And so a lot of nations were relying on it. I think of it maybe as kind of like America back then. You know, America over the past hundred years, this nation has been such a powerhouse on the world scene. We see that when the American economy stalls, it affects the economies of nations all over the planet. So many people depend on America. And I just wonder, maybe that's what Tyre was like back then. You know, when people saw that Tyre fell, they were dismayed over this. They, they knew the whole supply chain had just got messed up. And so they are lamenting. And it only gets worse for Tyre. Uh, it's not just that Tyre was destroyed. In these last few verses of the chapter, it talks about how Tyre was literally dragged down to hell. Verses 19 through 21. For thus says the Lord God, When I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you, and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit, to the people of old, and I will make you to dwell in the world below, among ruins from of old, with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be inhabited, but I will set beauty in the land of the living, I will bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you, will, though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. So the English Standard Version, that is my preferred translation of the Bible. Um, it might be a little too vague right here, though. It keeps talking about the pit. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that's what other translations say, too. What it's talking about when it says the pit is it's talking about the underworld, okay? The Hebrew word for pit here, it's not sheol. That's a, that's a similar word in the Bible, but it's a word that's more like bore. It, it also means the grave, like a pit that you put a body into whenever they die. And right here in this context, it's speaking of a supernatural location. It's talking about where people go with when they die. But it said, that's why it says in verse 20, Tyre is going to go down to the people of old. It's talking about the people who have died before, the people who have already passed on. And Tyre is going to be dragged down to where they are. And it's really a terrifying picture right here that God is painting. He says the city will be destroyed, its bricks and columns hurled into the sea, and the people are going to be swallowed up in the waves. And they're going to sink into those waters and just keep sinking. They'll keep sinking and sinking until they're under the earth, until they're in the underworld, never to be seen again. And and so that sounds like it'd be at the end of the story, but God actually has a lot more to say about Tyre in the next two chapters of Ezekiel. So we're going to leave it there for today. I'm going to come back in just a few moments, and I will wrap up with some closing thoughts on what we can take away from Ezekiel 26. So guys, next time on this podcast, we're going to keep going right on through Ezekiel with chapter 27. As I said earlier, I'm going to cover it all in one episode, but make sure you are subscribed so that you can get it. And also check out my new podcast. It's called Weird Stuff in the Bible. And that title basically tells you what it's all about. (laughs) So lately I've had episodes that were about um, who are the sons of God? Who are the Nephilim? Uh, I'm going to be talking about who are the sons of Anak. And so um, go make sure you go subscribe to that show too. And you can learn all about those things. Those episodes come out on Wednesdays. Uh, I had a mailbag on a recent episode here. Uh, I only had one piece of feedback on... um, so my, my last episode from Ezekiel on chapter 25, the last episode I got, or the last uh, mailbag that I got, 
it was from Scott. And he simply said, I agree. And so um, that's all he said. But hey, if I want to get any feedback, I guess that's the kind of feedback I like to hear. <laughs> so so thank you, Scott. So hey, I can say that I had 100% positive feedback on that episode. Um, and that was kind of surprising because literally hundreds of people listened to that episode. And so to only get one comment back, um, but hey, it was positive. So that's 100% positive feedback. Thank you, Scott. And if you want to leave feedback on an episode, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. That's my email. Or if you're on a platform that does comments, you can always leave a comment as well. Uh, Okay, so in closing today, I just want to share a couple reflections on this chapter. And this was a pretty straightforward chapter. I had not really studied Tyre before. And that's kind of a fun thing with the Bible is, is, you know, you get to go learn about something historic that you had never even learned about before. And that's what we got to do today when we learned about how Tyre was defeated. And so one thing I, I kind of mentioned this, but it, one thing we learned from this is that prophecy is not always as instantaneous as it sounds. Because um, like, like we talked about with all the history of it took hundreds of years before Tyre fell. And so it fell in stages. The people were being driven out to sea, and then Nebuchadnezzar left them alone. And then Alexander the Great came along and he finished them off. And so I guess as I was just kind of surprised to hear that because as you're reading the prophecy, you would never think that that was how it was going to all play out. You know, you'd think it was sounds like just one big war, maybe just one big battle, and then Tyre was done. You know, that's that's kind of how it feels as you read it. Chapter 26 sounds so apocalyptic about what's going to happen to Tyre. You know, this doom is coming. But there was just a, it was a little more complicated than, than that. And prophecy often is that way. Something you think is going to happen quickly actually ends up taking a great deal of time. Uh, Look at the fall of Jerusalem. It was prophesied several times. It happened in three stages. And Babylon came three times and they just took a little bit more each time. And so if you just go and reread the prophecy after one of the first two stages, you might think, oh, oh, hey, this wasn't so bad. You know, I thought we were all going to get wiped out and it it wasn't like that at all. Well, you know, he was going to come back again later and then finish them all off. So it was going to be bad. It just, it, what we observe is that prophecy doesn't always get fulfilled as quickly as we think it will. And, and I mentioned that with Jesus and, you know, his first and second comings, how all that played out as well. So I guess my point is we got to be careful not to assume too much whenever it comes to Bible prophecy. And a, a lot of people out there think that they just have, they have it all figured out. You know, Gog and Magog. This is another prophesied battle that's coming uh, according to the book of Ezekiel and one that has not happened yet. And so I think a lot of us have this idea that it might just all happen in one day, like this one big event, you know, and hey, maybe it will. But perhaps it's going to be a war that lasts several weeks, several months, several years. Who knows? You know, we don't know. It's going to happen, but it's going to happen on God's timetable. And so... Some people might watch it play out and they you know, they might see things kind of fizzle out a little and, you know, it gets hot and then it settles down. And some people think, oh, well, maybe this wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it would be. Everything God said would happen is going to happen. It just might not happen quickly. OK, so it's OK to come up with theories. It's OK to theorize. But don't assume more than what the Bible actually says whenever it comes to Bible prophecy. Uh, you know, kind of like I've, I've said this before, all the Bible prophecy teachers who say the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty with Israel. I've heard that so many times. I got books on my shelves right now that 
that say Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty with Israel, that is nowhere in the Bible, guys. It says the Antichrist makes an agreement with many nations for several years, okay? But we have no idea if it's a peace treaty or if Israel is even involved with it, okay? So so if we're here for it, if we see it, the Antichrist could go make this, this covenant that's prophesied in the Bible. He could literally go sign that covenant. Half the Bible prophecy teachers out there, half the prophecy experts out there would miss it. They would be looking for a peace treaty with Israel. They would totally miss it. So, so guys, just be careful and don't assume more than what the Bible says. And then uh, just one more thing that we learn, and this is maybe on a more practical level, we just kind of see this example here that you reap what you sow. Tyre's issue was that they were so greedy that whenever Jerusalem got destroyed, they got literally thrilled about it because they were just immediately thinking, how can we profit off of this? And so what we see here, though, is that God twisted their fates. Tyre was greedy, so God stripped them of what they had. They wanted more, but they lost everything. They wanted to be the envy of the nations. Instead, they were the lament of the nations. They wanted Jerusalem's money to flow their way. Instead, Jerusalem's conqueror came their way. And they thought the sea made their city invincible, but it ended up being their tomb. You know, the previous nations that God pronounced judgment against, they were often more violent. They were killers. They were barbaric. They behaved like savages. That was not Tyre's problem. Tyre wasn't described here as this violent and scary nation. It was wealthy. It was sophisticated. It was civilized. And yet it still ended up on God's radar because they were so materialistic. And I think it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how far you think you've come, you know, no matter how far above others that you feel you are, maybe we look at other nations, we think, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. They're so barbaric and uncivilized. But what we learn from this chapter, God still sees your heart and your heart is really all that matters. Whether your nation's wealthy or poor, whether you're civilized or uncivilized, you still need to take care of what's in your heart. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, you don't need a Lego Robin, so don't ask.